Welcome to McGonigal's Chronicles Making Montana Connections. I'm Tim McGonigal, anchor, producer, and reporter at KRTV and KXLH, the Montana Television Network's CBS affiliates in Great Falls and Helena. This podcast is about extraordinary people with Montana connections. Some were born here, some have moved here, but all at some point have become a part of the fabric that makes Montana unique and special. So let's get to today's program. After a successful career as a detective with the Great Falls Police Department, John Cameron's passion for investigating never let up. Now, while a member of the Electric City's police force, he was involved in some of the department's most high-profile cases, including Nathaniel Barjona, the main suspect in the 1996 disappearance of 10-year-old Zachary Ramsey. After he left the force while working for the Montana Board of Pardons and Parole, Cameron discovered another convicted killer, Edward Edwards. Through exhaustive research, Cameron determined that Edwards could be more brutal than anyone could imagine. In fact, Cameron believes the now-deceased Edwards is the man behind some of the most notorious crimes in U.S. history, including the Zodiac killings, the Black Dahlia murder, the death of John Bonet Ramsey, and more. Here now is our conversation with John Cameron. You know, when I was a senior in high school, uh, three of my friends applied for the police academy, and by the end of the summer of my senior year, I was kind of lost and didn't know what to do. So I decided to apply and got accepted at the Minnesota Law Enforcement Academy and, uh, and did two years there. And when I graduated, I came out to Montana just to see it, and they had an opening in Great Falls, so I applied. All right. And uh, you've been here ever since obviously and uh, it's been a more than uh, your career with the uh, police was more than 25 years and I know that uh, during that time you worked on some high-profile cases uh, in the Great Falls area uh, what uh, what are some of the ones that uh, that stand out yeah working on homicide cases kind of became my session and uh, I would say the the one that stands out the most is probably Nathan Barjona and the the uh, killing of Zach Ramsey in 1996. But there were so many during the period of the 90s that I worked on. Um, I really enjoyed that part of the work. That was really something I kind of specialized in. So you always, uh, did you always uh, uh, envision yourself as a, as a homicide detective? I remember telling my sergeant when I first got hired with the Great Falls Police that that's really what I wanted to be, was a homicide detective and a sergeant in detectives. And it took, uh, I, got, I got sergeant of detectives in 1994, so it took 13 years to get there. But it was well worth the, the fight <laughs> and the education. And it was really a rewarding career, actually. Yeah. Uh, well, after you left uh, Great Falls Police Department, uh, I know that you worked for the Board of Pardons and Parole with the uh, Montana Department of Corrections, and uh, that kind of led you uh, on uh, what has become a, a, an incredible odyssey, I guess you would say. And uh, is that how you came to, to know about uh, this Edward Edwards? Yeah, I went to work for the parole board in 2008, and then I got introduced to Edward Edwards, the serial killer, in 2010 and kind of befriended him for a year before he died and that led me to basically investigate his life for five years and then publish a book about him 
and then the book was turned into a six-part TV series. It's hard to believe that was 11 years ago that that all started, and that was probably one of the most difficult parts of my life, was uh, doing that investigation, writing that book, and producing that series to try to expose that man. Yeah, but uh, I, I know it was tough on you, but uh, I know the book, uh uh, I have a copy of it here. A lot of people uh, read it, and um, something that, uh, even though it was a difficult subject to tackle, I know it was something that uh, you, uh, during that investigative uh, part of it, could be very proud of. Yeah, I'm really happy now that it's been so long, and it's been, you know, the book's been out for seven years. Uh, the show went out in 2018. It's just been kind of a relief. Some of the things that I wrote in the book have been validated. Uh, some of them are still being looked into. You know, that man set people up for his murders. And so there were dozens of people that went down for his murders over a period of 50 years. And that was very frustrating trying to get uh, local law enforcement to get involved in certain jurisdictions. But now some of those cases are in court and they're being played out and it's very rewarding to know that some some people might be freed because of that. Yeah. Now, I think uh, the last time I talked to you, you said that uh, Edward Edwards uh, uh, said that he had killed over 500 people. Is that is that a correct number? It's probably at least that many. You know, he killed from the time he was 13 years old until the time he was caught when he was 77. So, I mean, you have a period of, you know, 60 years of him being a killer. And it wasn't like he just randomly picked people. He just liked to kill. And he did it every year. So it wasn't unusual for him to do two to five a year. And sometimes multiple people just in one murder. At The most I found in one case where he killed six people family members all in one murder and got away with it. So a lot of people wonder how does uh, someone like this, uh, you know, become this, I guess, deranged uh, and uh, violent. Uh, you studied the man. Uh, what, do you, what do you think it was that, uh, that made him the serial killer that, that he was? Well, you know, he was born in 1933, so he's basically at the height of the Great Depression. His mother was single. So he was basically a bastard, which was a very bad thing to be back in those days. His mother went to prison when he was two years old. Um, she came out of prison when he was five. And he learned that the person that he was living with wasn't his real mother. So he had a very uh, strange upbringing and didn't really understand who his mother and father were and what he was. And then his mother died in front of him when he was five years old uh, with a, a blast to the stomach from a shotgun. And after that, his name was changed and he was placed into a Catholic orphanage where he was sexually assaulted by the older boys, abused. And so it was almost the perfect storm of a man who was raised not knowing who his mother was, not knowing who his father was, not knowing who, what his real name was, and then being completely abused before he's 11 years old. And he just came out a monster after that. 
Yeah, and uh, you said that his first killing that he, I guess, admitted to was when he was 13 years old. And was that one uh, what we call the Black Dahlia murder? There were three other murders prior to that okay. murder, the Black Dahlia. They were the lipstick killings. And he was just about 12 years old on the first lipstick killing. And those killings were in Chicago. Um, it was two ladies about the same age as his mother would have been that were beaten, stabbed, and shot. And then a little six-year-old girl that was lured out of her house and taken to a basement and dismembered. And then the Black Dahlia was 1947, the year after all of that. And so he was really only 11 to 13 years old when he committed his first murders. And he got away with them. And he managed to get another person to go down with for those murders. William Herons went down for the lipstick killings for his whole life. And so that became his addiction was to kill, to steer the evidence to other people and watch people go down for his murders and then be executed by the government. So not only could he kill, he could frame somebody, destroy their life, and then he could get us to kill them for the crimes they didn't commit. And so that was his addiction his whole life. Yeah. Now you call him, uh, I believe, uh, the most intelligent serial killer ever. Uh, what, do you, uh, what made him so, in, so intelligent, do you think, and so hard to, to finally, finally catch? You know, I recovered a, a mental evaluation that he had done here in uh, 1956 in Montana when he was arrested for armed robbery. And at that time, his IQ was at a 136. He had been basically called stupid his whole life and really belittled. And so he just wanted to prove to law enforcement, prosecutors, the public, everybody, that who was smarter than them and that they couldn't catch him. And so it's very well documented that he was intelligent. The man produced a 400-page autobiography when he was 39 years old in 1972 and bragged that he was a reformed criminal, when in fact all he was was a killer throwing all of his killings in our face in a book that was a puzzle to figure out to try to be smarter than him. And uh, you were talking about that 1956 uh, uh, case in Montana, and uh, I believe that uh, he's responsible for some murders in Montana as well. And that, is that the one we're talking about, 1956, uh, kind of a lover's lane, as you call it? Uh? Yeah, in 1956, Patty Kalitsky and Wayne Bogle were murdered here in Great Falls out on the Sun River, January 2nd, 1956. And they were both uh, tied up, shot. Patty was taken from the scene and shot on top of Hill 57 area. And they were, they were in a park in a lover's lane. And that's exactly what the Zodiac Killer did in 1969 was approach people parked in their cars on lover's lanes and, and killed them, shot them, stabbed them, burned them. Uh, and that's exactly who Edward a Wayne Edwards is, is the Zodiac Killer. And he was killing people on lovers' lanes that were usually cheating on their husbands or their wives and were creating what he considered himself, uh, an unloved child, bastard, um, created in the backseat of a car. 
So, John, uh, you, you say he's the Zodiac killer. Uh, what, what leads you to believe that he's the, uh, the Zodiac killer? Well, you know, in, in 2010, when I first approached uh, Ed Edwards about him, I asked him if he was the Zodiac killer, actually, in a letter. Uh, we had found his book that he had published. And in the book on page 232, he had spoke about how he knew somebody in Deer Lodge prison that was killing slaves in the afterlife. And in fact, when the Zodiac killer in 1969 taunted the press with a cryptogram, that's exactly what the Zodiac killer had said he was doing, was killing slaves for the afterlife. And the most recent uh, cryptogram that was solved just a month ago by a group of uh, citizens also mentions that he was killing slaves in the afterlife. And that's what Ed Edwards had mentioned in his book. And so that was the first sign that he was possibly the Zodiac. Plus, he was killing couples on lovers' lanes, and he was confessing to them in 2010, five of them. And so when I confronted him, the letter that he sent back started out, it's me. And that's exactly what the Zodiac had written in letters to the Atlanta Constitution in 1981, starting out with It's Me. Uh, the Saul Cipher, just in the last month, had It's Me in it five times. Um, so there's very little doubt in my mind that he was the Zodiac Killer. Will it play out with DNA being recovered from some of these letters he sent? I hope so. I know they're testing it, but uh, they haven't come up with a conclusion yet. Okay. And then uh, more recently, uh, you say that he was uh, involved in the JonBenet Ramsey death, and that was a very high-profile case, again, in the Colorado area, area, the young little six-year-old beauty pageant girl who was found murdered. Uh, tell me how you think he connects to the whole JonBenet Ramsey thing. Well, Ed Edwards uh, had a relative that lived in Marietta, Georgia, and he was a sergeant of the police force down there. And that's where actually Joe Manet Ramsey and the Ramsey family are from, or it's Marietta, Georgia. That's where they're buried is Marietta, Georgia. Ed Edwards was arrested in Atlanta in 1982, and he had a Marietta, Georgia police uniform at that time. And that was during the Atlanta child killings where 21 kids were, were taken by a police officer, someone dressed like a police officer, and murdered. And then the... Uh, the press was taunted with letters from the Zodiac saying he was responsible for the Atlanta child killings. But in the Joe Ramsey case, that happened in 1996 on Christmas, um, there was that three-page ransom note. And the ransom note really wasn't a ransom note. It was actually a written puzzle as to who the killer really was. And in that note, he referenced the Zodiac movies that were made by Dirty Harry. And he signed it with the initials SBTC, which the Zodiac always signed his letters with the cross and the circle. And so SBTC stood for signed by the cross. That was the signature on the Joe Manet Ramsey note, the Zodiac cross and circle. And uh, it was actually 50 years to the day that he had committed that same murder in 1946 in Chicago when he killed that little six-year-old girl in Chicago, took her to the basement and beheaded her, just like he did to Joe Manet Ramsey. He threatened to behead her. 
but took her to the basement and killed her. So you think there's some, uh, he, he's, he's obviously very methodical in this uh, uh, pattern of his. Uh, you think he, he, he had all these, these planned, I guess? Uh, he planned it that way for, for the John Bonet Ramsey death? Yeah, he would have planned them for years. All of his killings were very well planned, and he was usually able to groom his way into either a close family member or a friend close to the victim that he was going to kill. He would portray himself as a preacher, uh, a police officer, a doctor of psychiatry. He was a charming man. He could get into anybody, any church. Uh, he had all the credentials. When he was arrested in 2010, he actually had a machine that made false credentials to give him all the credentials that he was either a cop, a doctor of psychiatry, or a preacher. And so he was methodical. And he details all of that in the book that he wrote in 1972, that everything he did was planned and deliberate. And that's really the way his whole life was. You said that uh, he's a very charming man, obviously very intelligent, uh, and comes across that way. And uh, even if I understand right, he was on a couple of game shows. Uh, What's my line? And to tell the truth. Is that, is that right? Yes, 1972, just after he committed the Zodiac killings. Those occurred 1969, 70, and 71. He was able to get on to tell the truth. And the whole gist of the show was to figure out if who the real Ed Edwards was and was he a reform criminal or was he a killer of a couple on a lover's lane and in the end of the show all the contestants picked the best liar and it was Ed Edwards and he stood up and curtsied to the crowd and was just basking in that recognition is what he always wanted was to, to be able to stand in front of the world and have the world not know that the killer was right in front of them. Wow. Even more recently, uh, I think the first time I talked with you uh, is when Netflix came out with their hit series, documentary series, uh, Making a Murderer. It was about the Stephen Avery case in Wisconsin. And uh, you uh, th think that uh, Ed Edwards was uh, set up Stephen Avery and Brandon Dassey for, for that murder too, don't you? Yeah, that's hard to believe. That's been five years <laughs> since that all came about. And uh, I drove out to, to Wisconsin after I watched that series because everything that happened in that series is exactly what Ed Edwards would do. He would pick a murder. He would pick a victim. He would pick a suspect with a name that would tie to the Zodiac case. And the name Avery was a huge part of the Zodiac case because that was the the reporter that chased himself till he went crazy trying to figure out who the Zodiac was. And Stephen Avery had just come out of prison, wrongfully convicted for a rape. And he was all over the press just before that uh, he was set up. And uh, Edwards just decided that would be a great setup to pick a guy who spent 20 years in prison for a uh, rape he didn't commit and set him up for a murder and watch him be destroyed again. And that's what's happened. And there's been a lot of people really angry with me for even bringing that up. But to this day, Stephen Avery and Brendan Dasty still sit in prison. I've given all the information to them. I've driven out there. I've tried to beg and plead with uh, the lawyers to just sit down and talk to me. But they don't want to do that. 
they uh, have tried everything to get them out. Everything has failed. I really don't think they'll ever get out. John, do you think that uh, in your studies of Edward, uh, Ed Edwards, uh, uh, have you met a lot of skepticism from, from law enforcement and from others involved closely with those cases that, that uh, say, oh, this guy from Great Falls, Montana doesn't know what he's talking about? Uh, and if so, how do, you, how do you deal with that? Why do you think, uh, why do you think people are like that? Oh, the Internet's like that. Just Google me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been called a whack job. I'm crazy. Uh, you know, in the beginning, it really hurt. But I've gotten a lot of tough skin in the last seven years. And uh, these cases that Edwards did were always so big, and they were always debated in the press and on online forums. Everybody had a solution. So... There's just a lot of skepticism and a lot of anger because many people have been called the Zodiac Killer and many people have been called the killer of Joe Manane Ramsey or the Black Dahlia or any of those big cases. And they weren't. And now when the real guy is produced and laid in front of you, many people don't want to hear that. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just something I put up with. I, I don't really care what people say about me anymore. All right. Well, I wanted to talk, too, about, uh, you, you mentioned that the, the book, It's Me, that uh, you wrote, I think it was back in 2014, uh, that helped uh, then kind of spark the documentary series that aired on the, uh, I guess it was the Paramount Network, formerly the Spike Network, but uh, you worked closely uh, with that one. It was a six-part documentary. Uh, talk about uh, uh, who you worked with on that documentary. Uh, that was, I know, different than, than writing the book, but... Uh, you still travel around the country, and just just talk about uh, about that documentary series and how that went. Yeah, I was approached by the Paramount Network in 2016, and they wanted to uh, basically option my book and turn it into a series. And then I traveled the country with Ed Edwards' son, Wayne Wolf, and met with his uh, sons and daughters. And really, it was, it was really fun, actually, um, traveling around for about five months all over the country to all these locations, uh, speaking with witnesses. I mean, I was com completely brutalized by some people and, uh, and loved by others. But it was just a blast, you know, running around the country with uh, about 13 to 15 of us wearing cameras and microphones all day, um, seeing what goes on in the background of those shows. And that, it, was, it was an experience I'll never forget. And it just kind of legitimized that all the work I'd put into the book was w well worth it. And it's going to be out there forever. I know someday, uh, eventually, it'll come out who Ed, Ed Edwards really was. His daughter, April, right now is in the middle of making a series. I still talk with her, um, still have contact with her. And what's interesting is after publishing all this and doing the show is I got a call last week from a lady that lives in New York City. And her father died recently and she was cleaning out his attic. And in the attic was the original manuscript of Ed Edwards' 1972 book. And it's 500 pages, 
completely different than the book that was published and contains tons of real information. And Ed had actually told me that when he published his book, that the publisher made him change a lot of things so that it wouldn't be so obvious of what he really was. And the manuscript seems to bear that out. So I'll be uh, posting the manuscript of that book on my website, coldcasecameron.com. When I get it all uh, into a file. But it's just, it's been that way ever since I started with this. Uh, about every month, somebody contacts me with more information on Ed Edwards. Yeah. During that time when you were working with Wayne Wolf and with uh, Ed Edwards' daughter, April, uh, what, did, did you ever get from them what, what their thoughts were when, when they found out that their dad was uh, this serial killer? I mean, how did... How did they find out, and uh, you know what? What were their thoughts about him? I mean, most people we say we love our, we love our parents, but uh, they had to be shocked to find out that he committed these crimes. Well, in April's case, she was actually watching TV in 2009 on a Lovers Lane murder in Wisconsin, and it brought up memories that she remembered when she was very young. I think she was 13 or 14, that they lived in the, in the uh, area where this murder happened and that they packed up in the middle of the night and ran away. And so she called the police and gave her father's name and they went to Kentucky where they found him and got his DNA and it matched the double murder. And the, so that began the unraveling of Ed Edwards was through his daughter, April. But I was contacted by Wayne Wolf, who's actually Ed Edwards' grandson. Okay, grandson. After he went on uh, one of the websites to do an ancestry check and found out that he was related to Ed Edwards, and then he Googled them and came up with my name. And that began our relationship that went on for about two years of following the life of his grandfather. He was very skeptical on some of the information, but very, uh, very well knew that his grandfather was the Zodiac Killer, and so did April. John, I also, as, as I was doing some research for this, uh, I, I looked online uh, to see if the book It's Me is available. I saw that you can, can get it through Amazon, but uh, there was also another book called It's Still Me. Was that a follow-up, uh, or is that the same book, which just added information, or did you write two books on this? Yeah, I was approached to do a second book after uh, Paramount Network um, did the, the show, because there were murders that came about after I published my first book, and uh, so I added those to the book and rewrote the whole thing and added about five chapters and five different murders. And it's called, it's, actually, I got it right here. Let's see if you can see that. It Was Always Me. It Was Always Me, okay. Here we go. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, so, yeah, I've, I've published two books on that case, and it's just crazy to even think of that because publishing a book is an enormous amount of work. And I don't, it's just gratifying. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did it. Mm -hmm. Looking back, I don't know how I did it, but I'm glad I did. 
Well, John, what, uh, what does the future hold for you? Are you still going to uh, continue uh, to, uh, on this quest to learn more about Ed Edwards? Uh, what's, uh, you got more documentaries in the, in the works, more books? What, uh, what's next for John Cameron? I've been approached to do some more documentaries, um, but pretty much I am a maintenance man at Highgate Senior Living <laughs> now, and I love it. It's, a, it's just a great job. It's a lot less stress than thinking about murder all the time. Right. I, uh, I play piano a lot. I have a lot of free time. Um, I'm always open to people that contact me about these cases, but I pick and choose wisely what I'm going to do. So we'll see what the future holds. Has there been any talk of, of making a, maybe a motion picture about the, the life of Ed, Edwards? Or, or, or has there been one uh, already? Uh, have, have you heard anything about that? There actually is one in the making. I do know that. And that's done through April Edwards, his daughter. Okay. And I've been in contact with her over that. And it's going to be a movie about his life. It's going to be played by actors. I don't know who's going to play me. It'll be interesting to see what they pick. Um, but yeah, there is one in the making. I guess COVID has kind of put a damper on it in the last year uh, as far as you know, traveling around and, and doing things on it. But I know it's still, it's still being put together. All right. Now, you mentioned your website uh, earlier, uh, Cold Case Cameron. And uh, tell me what uh, people can see when they, when they get on there. What, uh, what will they find uh, on that website? Well, in any murder case I ever worked, I always did a timeline of the killer's life. And so what Cold Case Cameron is, is really a timeline of Ed Edwards' life with all the documentations, the photos, the videos, him on TV. I mean, there's so much information on there, you could spend weeks on it. Um, but it's just put out there for other investigators and other people that have uh, loved ones that have been murdered to see if he was possibly in their area at the time of their murder. So it's really just out there for all to see and read. It's kind of like a book, only it's all digital. All right. And uh, I, I meant, like I said, I, I saw that the uh, It's Me, Edward Wayne Edwards, the serial killer you've never heard of, is available through Amazon. Is that, is that the best way you would say to, to get that? Or can people contact you or get the, in touch with you through your website to get a, if they want a copy? I, I actually only have one of those books left oh, wow. and I'm keeping it. I've printed 10,000 copies of the hardcover and there still are some available that they're used. The new one, it, the new one might be out there in paperback. I think, yeah, it is out there in paperback, but the original hardcover it's me is sold out. I didn't reprint. Um, I know it was always me is available on Amazon. They're all available on Amazon still, either used or new. Okay. Well, John, uh, we certainly thank you for, for taking time to talk about this. Uh, it's an amazing story, and uh, all the work you've put into this is, is incredible. Uh, I, I think maybe at one point you thought you were retired and would be uh, taking it easy, but uh, you're, <laughs> you're as busy as ever, I know, even though I know you've slowed down maybe a little bit to, to kind of step back and breathe. Once a cop, always a cop, I guess. You've been listening to a conversation with former Great Falls Police Detective John Cameron, the author of It's Me, Edward Wayne Edwards, the serial killer you've never heard of. Next time on McGonagall's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections. It was a bit intense. Um, 
And at the same time, I really felt like we had taken the eye off the ball by not really going after Al-Qaeda aggressively and switching gears and invading Iraq, an entire country. From Denton to D.C. to the Middle East, it's the story of Nada Bakos. She'll talk about her journey from growing up in a small Montana town to her life in the CIA, helping track down some of the world's most wanted terrorists. And we invite you to follow us and give us your feedback on social media. Look for McGonigal's Chronicles on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, I'm Tim McGonigal. Thanks for checking out McGonigal's Chronicles, making Montana Connections. <laughs>